Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. The Pac-12 is an adventure right now. There's a lot going on. Just came off the NFL draft, which is exciting. 28 players selected in the 2021 draft out of this conference. Uh, We told you last time we talked Washington State. UW had their spring game. Oregon had their spring game. Colorado had their spring game. And Oregon State is this weekend on the Pac-12 Network's 1030 Pacific time. So, Ted, welcome you in, man. How you been? Well, Yogi, it's great to hear. Uh, great to hear you, and I'm looking forward because you've been out there. You've been our, our road correspondent, so you can talk about a lot of these spring games. And I was fascinated by the draft, and, and I watched a lot of it. Um, I, I'll tell you, you know, the Pac-12 players. I guess probably no surprises, right? As to, in terms of who went early, where. The thing I, I struck me again, and I know I've hammered this home with you. The, the value of offensive linemen. You see the yeah. run on offensive linemen in the second round of that draft because it is so hard to find. And and it was nice to see that Elijah Barry Tucker, one of you, one of the Pac-12's guys, got his first round draft pick. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think the other thing that interested me was the running back thing continues to be very just yeah. compelling. Right. Like here's Jamar Jefferson. I, he's top of mind for me as I'm preparing, preparing to go to Oregon State this weekend and seventh round. You know, it's just crazy to me when you think about that. But because uh, he's so talented. But to me, when I look big picture, so 28 players drafted. It was a COVID year. I think Arizona State has anywhere from 10 to 14 draft picks next year. A lot of guys came back. You can say the same thing at a bunch of schools. Guys that would have been drafted to add to that number. So let's just contextualize talent in the Pac-12. 2020, 32 guys drafted. 2019, 33 drafted. 2018, 30 drafted, right? 2017, 36. 2016, 32. You see my point is that 28 being drafted in a year where, in my opinion, at least eight to 10 guys came back that would have been drafted at some point out of that number. What does it say? It says amid the narrative sometimes around the Pac-12, the one thing you can't argue is talent. Talent is there. Talent got drafted into the league, and there's a ton of talent this year. I think we'll have a record number of players drafted next year, including a guy who I think could be top five in Kayvon Thibodeau. So uh, pretty cool to me to watch the draft go down. Of course, Panay Sewell being the first Pac-12 player off the board and then kind of watching and tracking it as, as it went on from, you know, Panay all the way to Jamar. Yeah, you're right. The Jamar Jefferson thing jumps out. Demetri felt in the same way. It was a, was a late round pick. And the other thing, I, I think we see it in the pack. We see it in college football. Um, Yes, offensive linemen are absolutely at a premium to NFL teams, but how many wide receivers are there now? It's it had to yeah. be the deepest position, the draft by a mile and a half. And you know, I was I was getting texts from people and found family relatives and how the so and so and these wide receivers that weigh 160 pounds are being drafted in the first round. Yeah, welcome to football 2021. <laughs> and as a result, there's this amazing quantity of wide receivers that go early. So then what came right behind it? DBs. Right. So you get into like the third round of the draft. You see how many DBs went in a row because everybody's trying to grab them at one person that can be potentially either a shutdown or the other valued position is the slot. Yep, I was just going to say the nickel defender, right? That's Elijah Molden, right? He was there. That's Javon Holland, two players. Something to your point about the receivers. I thought Simi Fajoko would go higher. And it made me think, and, and we do this every year, 
the draft grades tell us, I think his, he was third to fifth round, got picked in the fifth round. You know, I wonder if we did a poll with players that had a chance to come back that got drafted late, what they would have decided, you know, and I, and I do think like the COVID, uh, you know, what some coaches have called it, like COVID fatigue, like you're just kind of, man, this is a tough season. I'm ready to get out of college. Let me just move on to the next thing. I would have loved to have seen some of our guys uh, come back. He would have been one of them, uh, but he did as good as you could do on his pro day. Like he put himself in great position, uh, but got drafted obviously where he got drafted. It'll be, he'll be a fun guy to track. Uh, the other one that I think will be fun to track is Nation Wright. That made a lot of noise coming out of Oregon State. That had a huge impact even on Oregon State. We'll get to them. But his brother, Rajon Wright, I think he's had a chance to be top five corner in this league next year, which is loaded, oh, by the way, at that position. And then I think the opt-out thing is worth it. Like, if you look at Panay Sewell, opted out. Elijah Vera Tucker opted out, then opted in. Joe Tryon opted out. Javon Holland opted out. Levi Anzarike opted out. Walker Little opted out. Those are, uh, what, five of the first six picks? Yeah, Paulson yeah. was three picks later, right, in this conference. So Davis Mills, right. Osa Odigizua, Paulson, uh, Jay Tefele, he, he fell a little bit. He was later than I thought. He was a fourth-round pick. But o- overall, uh, it, it was cool to watch. I think Davis Mills will be the one that I know you and I will track dramatically. Goes to the Texans. Not sure about Deshaun Watson. Other than Trevor Lawrence, I think he's the best passer that was in this draft. If he can be healthy, I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, do you think he could be a starter in the NFL? Would that surprise With Davis you? Mills? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought Davis Mills, that was a stroke of very good fortune for him, uh, given the Deshaun Watson situation and the complete uncertainty around that. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the Houston franchise right now. That's not a great organizational franchise, but I don't care if you're a player that wants the opportunity. <laughs> Davis right. Mills could get an opportunity in Houston much sooner than he might have in most every other NFL stop. So that I thought was a good thing. I was, um, I was, uh, and the other thing that happened, well, two things about the NFL draft quick before we got to spring games, you're talking about like Sidney Fajoko, for example. I, I think one thing that every fan probably, because sh- the draft has such attention, should be aware of now is it's not necessarily the player's value. It's that, as I said, it's that run on positions. And that's why you see so much trading now in the middle of rounds of the NFL draft is because a run goes on a position and now teams are scrambling. They don't want to miss out on that position. So you saw it with offensive linemen in the second round. Then you saw it with DBs in about the third round. And suddenly a guy that might have a third or fourth round value winds up being in the fifth, just by, by sheer numbers. Um, So I think that's one. And then the second point would be, for example, for Jamar Jefferson, I think it's long been respected by players and probably their agents that, once you get to about the sixth, sixth round, maybe definitely the seventh round, you'd rather not be drafted. You'd rather Jamar Jefferson would have rather been undrafted because then he can choose. He can choose where he goes, where he thinks he's got a better look than being the seventh rounder of a team where he may not get that look. And he's going to likely get cut on that on the cut day and have to hope he can catch on late with a team that's already got the roster set. So, um, for example, you were telling me, I didn't realize KJ Costello, our former Stanford quarterback signed with the chargers. And I'm hoping that that was a choice he had. And then he yeah. figured, okay, I have my best shot to get a real respectable look as a potential practice squad, third guy, whatever it is with the chargers. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of ours that coaches in the NFL and he said that this year in the draft, every team pretty much had the same goal, which was to trade down as much as possible because they didn't really get to know guys, right? You had a small sample size, right? Some teams played four games. 
right? Some teams played seven games. Some teams, obviously, in other conferences played 10 plus. But it was hard because you didn't get to really be around them. You didn't get to know them. So they were like, let me just get out of this and gain picks for next year. That 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 surprised me this year. I understood it last year. Uh, so, so I think there's something there in the league, which is why you saw guys fall. Uh, the other one that I think was interesting for us was uh, what happened with the Colts. They drafted another quarterback in Sam Ellinger. Yeah. And we talk about Jacob Eason. Clayton Adams, of course, yeah. is coaching the offensive line there. He was at one time in this offseason, about two days, he was the offensive line coach at Arizona State uh, and then went back to the NFL to, to be that O-line coach there. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting storylines to track as players are a year or two or three removed from from, from yeah. Oswald and, their games. Right, and Jacob Eason is going to get a shot to be the backup now with yep. um, Phillip Rivers retiring, but the Colts let Jacoby Brissett go. He left in free agency, so it's Wentz and Easton, and I'm guessing that's why they drafted Ellinger, because Carson Wentz has a little bit of an injury history, and that scares yeah. the heck out of NFL teams with your number one quarterback. And if you don't believe me, just look at what the San Francisco 49ers did. They did it strictly because of injury history. Uh, so, but Eason, you know, who just was, you know, pretty much just an observer this past year, he's going to get a shot this year to be a, to be a number two. And that's important when Wentz has a history of getting hurt. Yeah. And I know he's excited. I had a chance to connect with him in the off season and he's super pumped to learn from him. You know, wasn't bummed about, you know, that they didn't make him the guy immediately um, knows he still has a lot to learn. They like his ceiling. So it, it'll be fun to kind of watch that. Once they get into, uh, I don't even know how many, which teams are doing OTAs. I know some have opted to, to not do them, but I'm, it, it'll be fun to kind of watch how, how that thing shakes out. Um, all right. So speaking of watching, uh, there's been entertaining spring games, right? We talked about Arizona last time and Gronk and Jed and Teddy Bruschi uh, set your DVRs May 9th. We did a feature on the alumni and everybody coming back. We were there with a ton of cameras. Uh, it's called It's Personal. It is very personal. Obviously, that's the, the mantra of Arizona football. So check that out. The show is called Our Stories. Uh, but another one that was really entertaining was the same day. And that was Washington State and Coach Rolovich. And those guys had a blast. If you watch it on TV, Ted, they're having water balloon fights. And, you know, they're kind of just making it as enjoyable as possible. Uh, what wasn't enjoyable is their starting quarterback in the spring game, Jarek Guarantano, went down. I think it was the first play. Uh, and it was one of those where he threw it and hit the helmet of a player. Thankfully, it's not that serious, so expect a full-on quarterback competition. The backup quarterback who played a lot of that game due to that injury is Cameron Cooper. He just graduated, all-time leading passer in the state of Utah prior to this year, and I think Jackson Dart beat that, the backup at USC right now. But overall, this is a really fun team. They, they bring back uh, their talent at running back and Max Borgie. Uh, obviously, Deion McIntosh is there. I mean, you could argue their, their duo at running back and their offense is – it's comparable to a lot of the duos in the Pac-12. I mean, they're, they're talented there. They have a receiver, Deshaun Stribling, will be a star for this team, I think, as an all-conference player. Uh, they feel as though their culture is finally set. Uh, talking to that staff, they didn't think there was going to be a total rebuild culture-wise, but it has been from when Leach was there. Mm-hmm. And they feel like everybody's bought in. They've got an NFL draft pick in Abe Lucas on the offensive line, so they'll continue to put O-linemen out there in the mm-hmm. NFL. And, and they've done well, right? C.J. Moore... Um, I think they got him out of JC. He's a, he's a talented uh, athletic player for them. So they feel good about where they're at. Um, I'm really looking forward to watching them in the season. Brennan Jackson might be their best player on a defense. They bring back Jihad Woods as well, who's played there forever. So overall, they're better than I think we thought coming into spring after talking and watching them play a little bit. Yeah. And Guarantano's the Tennessee transfer. Is that right? Yeah. Can you, did you get sense from, uh, from Rolovich about, 
that SEC experience? I mean, is that something that shines through right away? Oh, yeah. And I got it from Jarrett. You know, I've known him from the Elite 11. And he, as as we know, in that part of the world, they'll, they'll, they'll love you up and they'll do the opposite. And yeah. that program has been... In you know, and I don't want to say shambles, but he had a different. He's had a different offense, different offense coordinator every year of his college football career, right? And here he is entering year four or five, right? Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's just hard, right? Tons of rotation there. He was the relative scapegoat. So for him to cut, get out of that scenario, a that's good, and then to come into a real healthy environment, they can feel his professionalism. And a big reason why they went and got him, and he went there, was to develop for a chance to go to the pros. But they want him to, to show the quarterback room what it's like to be a pro, right? And I say pro in air quotes because he was the center of attention when he got recruited out of New Jersey, out of high school, as one of the top kids in the country. And since he showed up on campus, played as a true freshman. So they, they said that's already impacted that meeting room. Craig Stutzman is their quarterback coach. Uh, we both are huge fans of him and how he develops that position. And Jane Delore wasn't around the team, right? So now they come back. He feels that natural heat. I, I think they've got – one of the most exciting quarterback competitions in this conference coming into camp. And is Delora coming back for the fall? It sounds like that. Yeah. They, they didn't make, they didn't say it was any other way. So uh, my understanding is, yeah, that that'll be the case. His suspension, I, I think will end. I'm, I'm, I can't say 1000%, but I would anticipate that. Anticipate that. Okay. Um, how about you, Doug? Yes. And, and one more note on that. Uh, big congrats okay. to Pat Chun. He got uh, a bump an extension as the AD at Washington state. Uh, you know, he was um, rumored for other jobs as that always happens. I think he's a home run for them. That place. Yes. They, I know they feel that too. Uh, so congratulations to him and his family. That was a, a well-deserved uh, bump for him. Uh, he's one of the best in the business, not just in our conference. Good. All right. What about the UW game? Yes. UW was really fun because it was a full on game, man. I'm telling you, like they made it exciting. They made it competitive. As, as you'd imagine with Jimmy Lake, they split up everything, not only players and coaches, but they split up like the training staff. They split up the weight staff. They split up every single thing imaginable and went for it. And for me, it was really fun to call this one on our network because I think this team is loaded. I really do. When you prepare for wow. it, they bring back their entire offensive line and they might not be the best O-line in the country, but they have uh, the best depth in this conference and maybe the country in terms of if they lose a guy, they don't miss a beat. And I think they're an elite offensive line. Like I really think like knowing what we know today, they're probably the best offensive line in this conference. They bring back a dramatic amount of snaps. Uh, the, the, obviously the big get for them is their left tackle, Jackson Kirkland. He's a guy who flirted with the NFL, just like Kate Otten the tight end. Both of them chose to come back. They were the two captains of each respective teams. They were the number one draft picks and away this, this thing went and they competed. Uh, They're going to be tight end heavy and that's who they are. That's what this offense is. And they're loaded at tight end, man. Quentin Moore is a transfer, a junior college transfer. They got, he shined in the game. He and Kate odd might've been the players of the game at receiver. It's been a big question. They lost a lot of guys in the portal. Jimmy Lake told us very clearly on our coaches call the guys we lost didn't fit what we need, which is tough, physical, willing to make the tough grabs. Like he wasn't afraid to go there and talk about what his receivers need in terms of also making big catches to win games. And they haven't done that. He said, we haven't made big plays in our big bowl games, in our big conference games. So Roma Dunzier, he's the alpha of that group. I think he's a next level player. All of 6'3", 200, was a national recruit, came out of Bishop Gorman in, in Las Vegas. To me, he's their one receiver. 
Jalen McMillan has a chance to be a starter at Fresno and Terrell Bynum is kind of the consistent guy. Uh, and then a quarterback, it is, it's a story there. Dylan Morris, Patrick O'Brien, and I think Sam Heward is in the mix as well. Sam has the ceiling. I do, Ted. His yeah. ceiling is yeah. – he looks different. I don't, think, I don't think he needs to play. I don't think he necessarily should play unless he really has some mastery around it because Dylan Morris has it and Patrick O'Brien has pushed him. But you, I think that Patrick – or excuse me, that Sam Heward can lead this team to, to big things when he, wow. he's physically ready to roll. And of course, that you know, just have to be have to be truthful here. That leads to a fascinating question, because we've seen it. Washington lived it. Coach Pete lived it a couple of years ago. That if somebody doesn't win the job or keep the job, they go, and it's yeah. reality today. So it's not pleasant. I, I don't mean this in any way other than it's reality. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, there's a world, of course, if Patrick O'Brien wins it as a grad transfer, kind of super senior, COVID year. And Dylan Morris doesn't, does he leave? And then Sam Heward is the heir apparent, right? That's a scenario that we could all digest. Uh, I think there's also a world where Dylan plays this year and then it's another competition next year with Sam. And one of them either stays or goes. Uh, To your point, that's kind of what it is. What I like about the room, though, is that there's enough room uh, in terms of years difference between each quarterback to breathe. Right. You've got the graduate, you've got a third year player, you got a first year player. Right. Like Dylan Morris is NFL eligible this year. I'm not saying he's an NFL quarterback or anything like that, but I just think that the, the era of four quarterbacks on a roster is never going to happen again. Absolutely. Yeah. We've already we've we've buried that one. Yeah. Yeah. Rest totally. in peace. <laughs> totally. Uh defensively, it's and one note on them, ZTF uh towards Achilles. So hopefully he comes back. They also, uh, one of their top defensive players uh, retired as well. So they lost some talent. But as Jimmy Lake told us, nobody knew who ZTF was a year ago. We didn't even know his name. That's Braylon Trice or Savelle Smalls possibly. Those are two possible stars. And at corner, you know, we talked last time about Arizona State's duo corner being maybe the best in the South. This is the best in the North. Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. They're both NFL players. I think Trent McDuffie is the best DB in this conference. I think he's a top 15 pick next year in the draft. Yeah. Freakish. And, and I, we know what they do at DB, dramatically deep there. Yeah. And let's finish up on UW with this because we just saw it on draft night with Tryon, with Onzorike, with Molden. And those are all, you know, Coach P was recruiting NFL players, right? Yeah. Is that still the case now? Two, second year past Coach P? Yeah. Oh yeah. They've done well. I mean, I think last year recruiting was so unique for this team, but where they've gotten is really creative in the portal. Right. I don't know if we would have said like, would, would coach Peterson have gone that, gone that direction? I don't, I don't know. Like he would think about it in coach Pete's era and including Jimmy Lake, there's only been two players that committed that didn't sign. So that's like a six year window. Most schools have like 20, 30 that commit and then flip. Really? Yeah. So if you look at this team and, Patrick O'Brien be one of those players. I referenced the tight end that they got. They get Jeremiah Martin, a defensive end out of Texas A&M. They get Jalen Polk, a receiver out of Texas Tech. Like they've worked the portal in that regard. They get a safety playing nickel, kind of Elijah Molden, Miles Bryant, and Brendan Radley Hiles out of Oklahoma, who they love. They call him Buki. He'll he'll be a star for them. So they've gotten creative in, in that regard, like a lot of teams. Like don't sign a ton. See what you can work in the portal. Okay, that's good. I mean, that's obviously a great thing to hear. All right, uh, Oregon, did, uh, did they play the traditional Oregon game? Because they've always been. 
Yeah, I, am, I mean, they've always. It, it was pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, didn't have, they weren't allowed to have fans. They changed that kind of maybe two or three days prior to Oregon has a, a relative surge right now in some counties. Uh, but our boy, Coach Aliotti, was on it. Uh, and I, I think when you look at this team and you really study them, they, they, in my opinion, I think have the most talent in the league. I just think they do. I think they are absolutely loaded. I think they're going to go four straight years of top 10 picks. Herbert, Panay. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is the face yep. of this league. And then I think it's Noah Sewell the year after that. Um, in the CFP era, they've got um, – out of the, they got the most overall draft picks in the CFP era that are going the top 10. Uh, you look at the last two years in the draft, they got the most players. They have nine. Um, and as I referenced, they have some stars. So I, I think this team is, is really gifted. Um, how they manage it, how it, can they become that team? You can't lose to Cal. You can't lose to Oregon State. Like, can they become the team we think they will be? Uh, we'll find out. But every position group. This offense, this offensive line, they replaced everybody from a year ago, and they're all coming back now. You look at the running back group, CJ Verdell is healthy. They bring back Travis Dye. They also got the best back on the West Coast in recruiting. The receivers are finally there, in my opinion. Like, it's a different group. They've got next-level guys that can stretch the field. Um, we know Johnny Johnson, how consistent he is. Jalen Red, uh, Devin Williams from the USC transfer that kind of burst onto the scene a little bit last year. Uh, so I like him on offense defensively bring in Tim DeRuiter from Cal they, Marcel Yates from Cal and they employ this new system where they just kind of, they said they changed the language a little bit uh, but then you look at the personnel Ted and it's like Mace Funa Noah Sewell Justin Flo is finally running around again Verone McKinley Jamal Hill who had that big uh, game against USC in the title game Michael Wright he and Trent McDuffie are my top two corners in the league they love DJ James like Everywhere you look, there's talent. And then there's Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown started over 30 games, almost 40 games, I think, at Boston College. That's a lot of games. Uh, and he was a pure pocket guy a lot at Boston College. He's gonna, it's, it is RPO game with Joe Moorhead. So I'm really excited. Uh, and then I think when you look at them last year, their reality, their best tackle, drafted. Their best nickel defender, drafted. Best corner, opted out, right? Thomas Graham Jr. got drafted. They lose two games at the end of the game. Do they Do they win those games with those guys? I don't know, neither here nor there, but I think it's worth noting. So I'm not ready to crown them as like it's their league, but they're they're tracking to take a real run in this thing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by it because they, they've been a little bit under the radar, I think, this spring of the conversation is Colorado and how it's, you know, again, still feels new with Carl Durrell. Uh, getting his first full run with this thing. So what 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 was the uh, reports out of their spring showcase? I was impressed with the organization. Not not surprised, right? That's Carl Durrell. Anybody who works for him, they talk about how organized he is. And then the big focus for them, let's start on offense, was tight end. You know, they didn't talk that way. It's been a long time. We caught a lot of Colorado games. And, and they are emphasizing that as position group. They want to be in one and two tight end sets a decent amount. They want to run the football. Right, Brady Russell's still banged up, but they get Caleb Fourier. You remember his dad, Christian, uh, alum from Colorado. Matt Lynch got put on scholarship in game. He's former UCLA quarterback, the tight end. Eric Olson's a freshman they like. Alec Pell. I mean, they've got. I think they have eleven tight ends on the on the depth chart. None of them are Kate Otten. 
but they're enough to say we're going to have tight ends on the field because they want to hand the ball off to Jarek Broussard, Ashad Clayton, Alex Fontenot, Joe Davis, Jaylee Stacks. I mean, they've got backs, and their quarterback's going to move. And Sam Norrie didn't play all spring. He's recovering from a shoulder injury, uh, sur- surgery. They had a ton of injuries. I think they had 12 players to, that had postseason surgeries. So they didn't see a lot of their players, top players. But Brendan Lewis competed. JT Shrout, one-time Cal commit, another transfer from Tennessee to this conference. They both look operational. They both look good. They both flashed at times. So a lot to talk about. I think they're going to be ultimately a really tough out in this league. Uh, and they're going to try to play that way. They're going to try to play kind of like Arizona State did when Herm got there. Keep it close. Give yourself a chance in the end. Play good defense. Definitely. Of course, they have a new defensive coordinator this year. Uh, but, but that's them on offense. Yeah, and that's, that's good to hear. All right, you're going to Oregon State yeah. this weekend. Tell me what Jonathan's got cooking there. Well, similar to Colorado, Oregon State injuries. It's a big deal for them. Um, Colorado didn't have a game, right? It was a showcase, as you referenced, because of all the injuries, like Terrence Lang, who's another one of the top edge defenders, I think, in the country coming out of this conference. The theme of the Pac-12 this year for our listeners. We got more defensive ends that are NFL caliber than I can ever remember at one time in a long time. Uh, With that said, Oregon State, by the time this game is played, they might only have two or three receivers in the practice dead. They're that banged up. Uh, it's crazy what's gone on over the last two weeks there in terms of guys either being injured or COVID-related. Uh, it, it's unfortunate. So they're not going to have a game, but there's a lot of great storylines uh, among this team. Uh, one of them, to me, is they bring back their entire offensive line. And we love going out on the field in pregame, and Jim Mahalchik is a legend in this conference. Yes, and he, he is. Yes, he is. And he's been he's been in a bunch of places, Oregon State a few times. And then you look at the way he's developed his O-line. They're bringing back all conference players. Nathan Eldridge, uh, he won't go, but they've got Brandon Kipper at one tackle, Joshua Gray at the other tackle. I mean, they're all they all look the part and they got one of the better transfer backs in the portal into Sean Fenwick. I just got off the phone with him. This is a guy who transferred from South Carolina. He is the thumper. The staff has said already, like, he is emotional. He is a leader. He is one of those guys for them that they expect to have a big role. And then tight ends. The theme, we've said it for two years. The theme in the league offensively is everybody's getting these tight ends. Tegan Quitoriano and Luke Musgrave. Luke Musgrave, yep. the nephew, nephew of Bill. So what I'm interested to hear now, so that's a great point. We've seen Quitoriano a little bit the last few years. But I'm interested between what you said about Colorado and Oregon State and tight ends. We just saw a tight end get drafted fourth overall. It started with Gronk. It's now George Kittle. And now new, new tight end gets drafted fourth overall. The position, it's, 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 I'm interested to hear what you told me because you said Colorado wants one and two tight ends on the field so they can run the ball. But tight ends can do so many things now. They're weapons. And that's what I'm interested to hear because we saw – Last year, Otten in Washington, who I really enjoyed, I thought had that um, that that kind of uh, upside to him because he was an offensive player as a tight end, but he blocked. And Keithy, of course, in Utah that we know very well. I'm interested to hear that. Is that do we have that capability in this conference to see those kinds of tight ends, not old school tight ends, but the weapon tight end? I think so. I think you can go up and down uh, most teams, right? Because Drake London might be considered a tight end, right? Tight end, yeah. to, to, to your point. So I think it, at the, that position group, it's as deep as we've seen in a long time. Uh, and 
it's it's kind of interesting when you look at where some of the guys are at that position. Like Luke Musgrave, to me, when he signed three years ago, was the number was the, my top offensive player in the class that went to Oregon State. He's going to have a chance to, to shine and thrive. And it'll be interesting because of, again, we talked trends in the draft. Trend was nickel defender in college as well. Who's he guarding? He's guarding the tight end. So these tight ends are might force teams to play three linebackers, something that a lot of teams don't do. And to me, that's that matchup issue uh, for that defense because of the ability of some of those tight ends. I'm interested to see if we, in this conference, if we'll see, uh, and I know another school, which is a little closer to my heart as well, Notre Dame has a tight end who just finished his freshman year who's going to be an amazingly high draft pick. He's another one that's in that model where if, 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 if you look up and look, okay, what are NFL offenses doing to try to be a little bit different, to try to ingenuity, and you see a guy like George Kittle, they actually hand him the ball and let him run a couple times out of, out of, out of uh, you know, something like a, a jet sweep motion. I'm interested to see if we can see any sort of that ingenuity bleeding into Pac-12 offenses. We certainly have the minds to make it work. Is there the willingness to try it? Yeah, you know, I've asked a lot of the coordinators – that have all these two tight ends that say, you're going to play a fullback. Washington is, they've done that. Uh, But a lot of teams say, no, like we're going to do that with our tight ends. We're going to move our tight ends into the backfield. We're going to give them on those fly sweeps. So I I think to your point, we we won't see it in spring games because nobody's ever going to show that on film. But let's remember that one when we call games first week of the season, which, you know, we got a, we got a little inkling of who we might be calling week one. We're we're hoping that uh, maybe you come down here to Southern California. It'd be fun. Let's see San Jose State and USC. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. Okay, okay. Well, Coach Brennan, uh, yeah, anything, anything with Coach Brennan, we'll follow. Talking totally. about Brennan at, at San Jose State. All right, let's finish this with what's one thing that I think is a big umbrella story that's come out in the last couple of weeks, and it, it affects this conference dramatically, which is the talk of expansion in CFP, which why it hasn't been done, I don't know. It, it should be done, um, and, and obviously – given where Pac-12 football has been, it would be an incredible lift for this conference if just even to go to eight. I know there's been some banner about 16. I, I'm i not a fan of that concept, but I'm a massive, I mean, I would be massively disappointed if this doesn't end up as an eight-team scenario. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm really excited about possible expansion. Disappointed it didn't happen last year because it was the perfect year to do it. And even if that was an asterisk, but this sounds like it's going to be for real and not just a 2020 expansion thing. This is going to be a real expansion thing. So I, I can't wait. I think it will go through. What I'm hearing is that teams that are always that are getting locks to get in, right? That's the SEC and the ACC. They haven't missed it, right? Clemson, Alabama, or somebody from those conferences. They're pushing for expansion to 16 because they want to get more teams in. Right. They're thinking, hey, all right, we want to expand. Give us two or three teams get invited to the show. For me, I could care less if it's eight, if it's 16, if it's 100. I just want to see every Power Five conference get represented. And I think what we've seen is the dilution of the game, impact in recruiting. Um, There's there's tons of stuff. And we should spend an episode talking about that and and some of the potential rule changes. I love that. And and your point, uh, the 16, what what it just – I think the biggest hurdle is a very obvious one, which is that's four games for the last two teams, plus your conference championship game, plus 12. Now you're 17 games. I, I don't know how in the heck you could ever sell that. I just, from the safety issue. Um, that's just me speaking. I don't know if that would be an issue because 
eight teams, you could still have 16, which matches an NFL season. Um, but that's basically what you have right now, right? The best teams are winding up playing 15 and 16. Uh, I can't see conferences giving up the championship games. It's just way too much revenue. So, uh, well, anyway, I, I just, the concept of this, some athletic director said this, and I forget who it was, Yoke, but somebody said this recently. He said, look, what we have right now is an invitational. It's not a playoff. I couldn't agree more. It's an invitational. That's not the point. The point is to have a playoff. And we can't do March Madness. We can't have, you know, weeks after weeks after weeks of elimination games. But to me, eight is so doable and, and maintains the integrity that you're going to have eight good teams. 16, you start to, I think, jeopardize that. But you, if you would go with eight, to me, you're going to have eight legitimate contenders for a championship. Yeah. And you know, the thing too, that stood out to me this year in the CFP committee was so much, there was so much, I don't know what the word is like, no one was on this. It felt like no one was on the same page because so much was going on. So here we are with the committee members. We have to recognize they have a lot going on and they follow the national narrative. I think it would give them a breather if it was like, okay, now we just have to seed who is better versus comparing conferences to conferences and eight games versus nine games. Like let's just accept that one's going to get in from every power five. And now let me study them. I think it would change the dynamic of that room and the criticism of that room. Well, you know, you, if you have the, each power five and you have to have a group of five automatic, so that's six. And you're not, you're saying basically we're going to pick seven and eight, right? That exactly. takes a lot of pressure off. No one's getting left out and you're going to pick seven and eight. You're going to get your Georges and your, you know, the, the seconds out of the big 10, the second, hopefully out of the pack. I mean, all of those schools are going to be in that mix, but to me, it's a lot, as you said, it's a lot less pressure when you're picking seven and eight rather than having to choose three and four. Yeah. Amen, man. Amen. All right. Well, l- let's do that. If you're around next week, we'll dedicate a pod to talking about that. Padded practices may change, go from 21 to eight in training camp. Uh, that is going to, that's clearly an issue that's on the table. I'd be curious how many people follow it, right? If it does end up getting passed, there's a lot of pushback, a lot of dialogue around the safety of that. So we'll talk about that and, and some other issues. And of course, recap Oregon state. And then there's only two left. Stanford and UCLA to round out all 12. And and I'll have gone to UCLA practice by then. I'm going to go there on, I think, Tuesday or someday next week to to check out the Bruins as well as they enter week week three of of spring practice for them. All right. Give Jonathan my best in Corvallis. I will. I'll make sure that I uh, visit our favorite place in Corvallis, (laughs) (laughs) as you often reference. If you watch Pac-12 football, you know what what I'm talking about. I love it. All right, he's Ted Robinson. I'm Yogi Roth. Make sure you subscribe uh, to our social channels, and we'll continue to kick out podcasts this off-season. Hard to believe we're in May. Season is almost right around the corner. Stay safe, everybody. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.